All right. Welcome to another edition of The Gospel Truth. Uh, my name is Josh Lucas, and I'm the Director of Youth Ministries at First Reformed Church in Sibley. Uh, and I'm so humbled and honored to be able to lead you in this podcast today. And I hope that you are blessed by today, uh, challenged by today, but also that you are uh, very changed by today in some way or another. Uh we kind of took a break from the gospel truth for a little bit, uh, just because it was towards the end of the year uh, with youth group and with uh, with different church activities and things like that. So I, I needed to really focus on that. So I wanted to take a little bit of a break um, and also just to be uh, spending time with my family, but also just to figure out what other kind of content that we could put out on this podcast. So I'm very excited to be starting this back up again and also just by being able to uh, share the content but also to hopefully help uh, individuals uh, either within our church, within our youth group, or anywhere for that matter who are struggling with issues that are coming up within the culture, issues that are coming up within the, the church, whatever the case may be. So I'm hoping that this is going to be a tool that is used by God that will further his kingdom, but also to help anyone who is in need. So thank you so much for watching and listening. And let's just dive right in to this. Here is the gospel truth. Today we're going to be talking about a very horrifying um, discovery that I made just this morning on the on this day that I was uh, rec going to be recording this episode of the Gospel Truth. I came across this article, uh, more 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 or less a blog, if you will, uh, written by Ken Ham. Um, and if you don't know who Ken Ham is, he is one of the creators of. Uh, the Ark Encounter in the Creation Museum, also either the founder or co-founder of Answers in Genesis. Um, it's an amazing, amazing organization and a great ministry that helps Christians um, to answer some of the questions that they may have regarding to science, also regarding just the way of the world. Um, and they use science to back it up as well. Uh, so I know that that's kind of a big issue that a, that a lot of Christians tend to have is we can't use science because Christians are afraid of science. Well, uh, Ken Ham shows that that's not the case. We shouldn't be afraid of science. In fact, science proves the existence and the amazing uh, creation of God and, and, and shows that God does truly exist. So uh, I encourage you to, to go online, answersingenesis.org, uh, uh, and uh, figure uh, find out all this great material that they have uh, on there with all different blogs, articles, uh, videos. Uh, and if you haven't gone to the Ark Encounter Creation Museum, I highly encourage that you go there, especially if you have young kids. Uh, it's truly an eye-opener and it answers all your questions that you may have regarding science and the Bible. But Ken Ham wrote this blog, and the title of the blog caught my eye very, very quickly. And it said only 37% of American pastors have a biblical worldview. Let me read that again. Only 37% of American pastors have a biblical worldview. 
So what does that mean? I'm sure that a lot of you probably have questions of, well, what is a biblical worldview? Meaning that they don't preach the Bible, they don't believe in the Bible. No, not necessarily. That's not what that means. Uh, biblical worldview is essentially, first you got to break this down. One, biblical meaning the Bible. Worldview meaning how you view the world. And you put that together. You use the Bible for the way that you look at the world. Uh, and 37% of American pastors are only have that. Uh, and another 63% of pastors do not have a biblical worldview, meaning that they do not look at the world from a biblical standpoint. They look at it from different perspectives. Um, and that is a very, very dangerous thing to do, um, especially as a pastor and even as a church. Um, and there was a lot of facts that were given that really startled me and really alarmed me to the the biggest issues that we have within the church because i know a lot of people they'll try to say that the biggest issue in the church is love and acceptance um uh, which to to a certain degree i that is true um however uh, the, when people are talking about that issue of love and acceptance, they're not talking about welcoming people within the church, even though there are churches that have that issue. Um, but they're talking about how when they preach or how they interact with people, they just show them love. They don't call them to repentance. They don't call them to follow Jesus uh, with all their heart and repent to their sins. Uh, we just accept their lifestyle, accept their sin, and just let people live how they want to live. Um, and of course, that is totally unbiblical. That is totally against what Jesus taught um, and what what our call is as Christians and even as pastors, um, youth pastors, children's pastors, associate pastors, whatever you want to call it, whatever your job title is, our call is to preach the truth, to preach the Bible um, and not anything else. But... <clears throat> But this uh, this blog post uh, exposed a very dark um, a very dark truth that is within our church, and of course, you know, to those uh, to to those individuals who ascribe to a a serious biblical worldview, meaning that you take the Bible as one hundred percent accurate, every single word that is written inside of this inside of this book is accurate. It is true. And you hold true to it 100%. Now, of course, there's interpretations of what things mean and stuff like that. But you look to the Bible as the main source of your worldview. Uh, that is that is what having a biblical worldview means. You don't look out at the culture. You don't look at your personal feelings. You don't look at personal perspectives or anything like that. You look at the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about these issues? And that's how you develop your worldview uh, from that but this study was done by uh, by the cultural research team at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, obviously in Arizona. Um, and they did this study where they conducted an interview with uh, with about a thousand Christian pastors, uh, which makes up, I think, to about uh, around a third or something like that of all the Christian pastors that we have within the United States, uh, which is kind of shocking in itself, but... Uh, but that's but there's also a very a very big fallout with pastors right now. Um, you look around the United States. There's constantly churches that are without a pastor. 
Um, and there's a lot of things that go into that, and I, I hope to touch on that if I have time. But um, but anyway, that that's what the study was conducted on, was a thousand uh, Christian pastors were interviewed, and they were asked 54 worldview-related excuse me, 54 relate, worldview-related questions. And, and what they found was overall that only 37% of those pastors have a total 100% biblical worldview. Um, and I have, I want to read <clears throat> the stats um, from, uh, from that study um, that really reveals this horrifying reality that pastors essentially do not um they just don't hold true to the bible anymore uh they don't hold the bible up as a as a standard of living they do not hold the bible up as god's authoritative word anymore um so here is the alarming uh, percentages and outcomes of uh, or, or findings of of this uh, of this study. Only forty seven percent of the pastors have a biblical worldview regarding family and the value of life. Now that is not surprising, especially since how many pastors do you see <clears throat> that go on the news or you see around your area around your community that either condone abortion. Or they even go out to abortion clinics and abortion mills and they preach that it's okay to get an abortion. There's pastors and churches that will fund Planned Parenthood or fund uh, some other type of abortion mill. Or just on the pulpit say that abortion is not murder. Abortion is okay. God is okay with abortion. Um, and also uh, regarding family. I mean, just look at the entire realm of pastors look at the entire realm of the church and this is going to be challenging and this is going to be kind of hard for some people to believe but this is scripture this is 100 scripture this is what scripture has to say but you look how many families are not con conducted the way that the bible describes for instance the father is the head of the household how many pastors or how many teachers how many people are going around teaching that the father is not the head of the household that's not that's not that's not equality that's not feminism. That's toxic masculinity, right? And uh, or or say that mothers can't be within the home anymore. Mothers can't because they're wasting their life if they're if they're being a stay-at-home mother. That's what's being taught in churches. That's what's being taught from the pulpit. Is that is that women should not just be stay-at-home mothers because if they're just stay-at-home mothers, they're basically wasting their life. That's what the feminist movement tries to tell us as a culture. And it's horrific that we have young girls who don't see their value as the most strongest uh, people in the, in the world. Because why? Because they are, they are able to withstand the most horrific pain the human body could possibly go through. Childbirth, childbearing. You know, now, of course, the Bible does talk about them being the weaker vessel, meaning, you know, obviously men are stronger physically than women are. Um, and, of course, there's some exceptions like Ronda Rousey or, you know, something like that. But overall, men are supposed to be protecting women. Husbands are supposed to be protecting their wives and their children. But that's not what's being taught on the pulpit today. What's being taught on the pulpit is, well, you know what, just do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you happy 
That's not what Jesus told us. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus did not tell us to go do whatever makes you happy. He said, no, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me daily. Not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays or Saturdays or whenever it is that you go to worship or you go to Bible study or you go to youth group, whatever the case may be, but every single day. And all throughout the New Testament, and even the Old Testament too, but more specifically, I want to focus on Paul's instructions. How many times does Paul talk about the family? And guess how many times that, that this idea of family changes and the dynamic of the family changes in Paul's perspective? I'll answer that zero times. It's almost identically word for word what Paul says uh, that families should conduct themselves and how husbands should love their wives. Wives should, should submit to their husbands and children should obey their parents. It doesn't change because God's word does not change. I wanted, I just really want to dig that into your brain. God's word does not change. And that's the issue is a lot of pastors are trying to change scripture. They're trying to add stuff to scripture and it's not okay. 44% concerning issues related to God, creation, and history. Um, uh, again, 44%, uh, um, only 44% concerning issues related to God. That's what they held to. So less than half of, less than half of the study shows that, uh, less than half of the pastors in the study shows that, that, that they don't even agree with creation. They don't even agree with scripture. See, this is this is what happens. So what people tend to do, and this is another thing that Ken Ham exposes uh, with, uh, with his uh, resources and things like that. And it's very, very interesting. So I want you to, to go and to test these things and to do more research on it because I really want you to grab hold of this. But what happens is what people tend to do is they look at the world first and see what the world has to say about these things. And then they go back to scripture and interpret what it is that they're, what, what they're finding within the world. So their first starting point is the world. Their first starting point is, is, is the quote unquote scientific facts of how the world began. So for instance, the big bang theory, I, I, I know plenty of Christians that say, well, the big bang happened. God made the big bang happen. But here's the thing though. That's not what God's word says. God's word does not say that God made this big bang and then everything happened. No. What does God's word say? It says, in the beginning, God created. God spoke. God said, let there be light. And then there was light. It doesn't talk about the, the, the scientific measures of how it happened. But God just made it happen. God created it to happen. Okay, and another thing is too is that they they look at the the worldview of 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 man of scientists that try to say oh well the world is billions and billions of years old so then they go back to scripture well, what is that how does that uh, follow along with this oh well obviously if we take uh, the the passage in, in 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 Peter's epistle that says well to 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 man one day or to God or to to man is one day but to God is a thousand years and a thousand years to God is one day to man or you know vice versa whatever that scripture passage is and they interpret that. As that's what Peter is referring to with creation. That's not the case. 
That is not the case. Because actually, and I'll say this one last thing about creation. If you look at creation and you go back to the Greek, you go back to the original language, you see that the word that is used to separate the days, when there was day one, then day two, the, the, the word that is used to separate the days between evening and morning is the same word that is used to, to, to separate the days when Moses was building the tabernacle. So, so Moses uh, is explaining that, okay, I built the tabernacle on this day, this day, and this day. This day we built this, this day we built that. So if we take this idea that, oh, well, we interpret Genesis 1 as saying that it took God thousands of years or millions of years or billions of years, but yet he uses a word that literally means a 24-hour period to separate the days. So does that mean that Mo it took Moses a thousand years to build the tabernacle? Moses did not live to be a thousand years. It's just not true. It's just not true. So we have to understand. Um, but now granted, uh, Ken Ham even says this too in his blog. He, he, he questions this statistic only because um, Arizona Christian University does not necessarily uh, hold true 100% to the idea of a, of, a, of a young earth or totally creationist. Um, university they do teach other things like with science and stuff like that big bang evolution things like that so he kind of questions the the questions that were asked of that but overall it's safe to say that the the statistics are still alarming as to that issue also 43 percent in relation to personal faith practices so essentially only about half less than half of pastors are teaching or holding true to faith practices the other pastors are just saying, oh, willy-nilly, do whatever, again, do whatever what makes you happy. 43% uh, when it comes to matters of sin, salvation, and one's relationship with God. Again, less than half are preaching or holding true to matters of sin, salvation, and one's relationship with God. Again, this is not about, the, they're not holding true to God's word. They're not holding true to what Jesus actually taught. They're only picking and choosing certain verses that sound good. Right, that 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 are really inspiring, if you will, the ones that make you feel good. They feel make you feel all mushy inside, right? But they don't offer any challenge. They don't offer any true conviction of your sinfulness, because that's not what these pastors care about. These pastors just care about putting butts in the seats. That's what they care about. Uh, Forty percent pertaining to human character and human nature. So again. Less, way less than half of these pastors are preaching about human nature. So what, what, what is that essentially saying? Well, it answers the question, why do we have evil in the world? Why, why do people do evil things? Or why do we do the things that we do? That, that we do? Well, it's because of our nature. We're sinful people. We're not good people. There's no such thing as a good person in today's context, there was only one human being that was ever perfect, and that was Jesus Christ. But yet they hold true to this ideology that, yes, you are a good person. Just be a good person. Just be a good citizen, and you're going to be fine. Well, what standard are you holding yourself to? Because let me ask you a question. If you're such a good person, how many lies have you told in your life? Have you ever stolen something, even if it was little? Have you ever used God's name in vain? That's called blasphemy. 
It's very serious. It's actually in the Old Testament. Uh, it requires death if you commit it. And then finally, Jesus says that if you look with lust, you commit adultery inside of your heart. So have you ever looked with lust, with sexual desire for another person that is not your spouse? So if you answered yes to these questions, this is your admission. This is not me judging you. You're judging yourself. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're a blasphemer. And you're an adulterer or fornicator at heart. So do you still think you're a good person? That's the standard of God. That's God's holy standard. We are not good people, church and listeners. We are sinful human beings. We are broken. We need a savior, which is why Jesus had to come and, and take on our punishment for us so that we did not have to bear it. That's God's grace put on us by putting it fully onto Jesus. Okay, but pastors, 60% of, of today's pastors are not preaching that. Why? Because it doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't, it doesn't make you feel all mushy and gushy inside. It doesn't make you feel like, oh, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to conquer the world because I don't got to do anything for God. God loves me anyway. So I don't know. Preaching the gospel. No, I don't got to do that. What you want me to call somebody to sit? No, I can't do that either. Now, there is a context to this. You have to understand something. You are just as sinful as the person that you are going to be talking to. So what does that mean? Where, where is the balance there? You cannot condemn these people. You warn them. You tell them about the faith that you have, the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. You need to tell them about, but don't do it in a way that condemns them or makes them think that you're put on a pedestal, which is why it's so important church for us to tell people and especially pastors I know I'm just a lonely little no-nothing no youth director, but I want to call you to this, pastors, youth pastors, children's pastors, whatever. You need to tell people on the pulpit that you're a guilty sinner because you are. You are not a perfect person. Quit acting like you are. Quit acting like you got it all together. You are a mess. We're all a mess. We're all dealing with things. We need to stop with this ideology that we're not struggling with anything because we're afraid of judgment and condemnation. We all struggle. We all fall short. But that is where we come together as a church, as the church, as Christ's body, to, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to hold one another accountable. We're not just coming here to drink coffee together, eat some cookies, and talk about the weather, or talk about farming, or talk about sports. That's not a church. That's a country club. You want to do that? Go out to the country club. Go to the bar. Go to the restaurant. Go somewhere else. Here in the church, we are here to honor and to glorify God and to learn about what his standard tells us how we should live. That is the, the, the mission of the church. If you don't believe me, read the book of Acts. If you don't believe me, read any of the epistles written by Paul, who is the greatest apostle who ever lived. Because that is what he taught. And then finally, in 40% when it comes to measures of lifestyle, personal behavior, and relationships. Only 40% of pastors today 
hold to a biblical worldview when it comes to measures of lifestyle, personal behavior, and relationships. That is alarming. That should freak out everybody. Why? Because the person that you have put on the pulpit, the person that is preaching to you, that is that is supposed to be the ultimate example of how we should live and how we need to glorify God and everything that we do, and the teacher that has been called by God to do these things might not hold true to a biblical worldview when it comes to his personal lifestyle. So what does that mean? Well, let's look at it this way. Jesus said that if you look with lust, you're an adulterer at heart. Well, hold on a second. If there's a pastor out there that doesn't agree with everything that Jesus says, so what's to stop him from going, hmm, yeah, you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. Or, But you know what? Jesus is going to forgive me anyway, so I'm just going to keep watching porn. Or I'm going to keep uh, fornicating uh, with, with, with this person. Or I'm going to keep having uh, uh, an affair with someone within our church or with whoever. These are hard questions, and this is why, and now I'm going to talk to the elders and the deacons that are out there all across the nation or wherever it is that you're listening to this. Your job is a very difficult job, okay? Because, you know, the teaching pastor or the lead pastor, senior pastor, whatever the job title is, the one that that specifically focuses mostly on the teaching, there has to be an accountability for them. Because they're, they're in charge of looking over the, the, the spiritual welfare of the church, as well as the elders. But who is their accountability partner? It's you, the elders and the deacons. You guys are the ones that need to hold your pastors accountable in their personal life. So how do you do this? you got to ask difficult questions. Are you struggling with anything? What's going on in your life? How is your marriage with, with your wife? How are your kids? How is the job going? Are the, is there anything that I can pray for you about? Is there anything that we can help you with to make your life easier? Actually take interest in your pastors. Show your pastors that you care for them. That you're not just there just to fill an empty, an, an, an empty chair. Take an interest in your pastors. Show them that you love them and you care for them. But here's the here's the last point. The last thing that just if it, it, it really got to me, but it doesn't shock me at the same time. And I'm gonna get extremely passionate in this moment. So please bear with me on this. Among children's and youth pastors, the number is a minuscule 12%. Out of these pastors that were being interviewed, only 12% of them hold true to a biblical worldview. The youth pastors, the children's pastors, the ones who are responsible for the next generation's faith. 
Does that concern you at all? If you're if you're listening to this and and you and you're going to another church that has a youth group or has you know a youth pastor or whatever, does this alarm you? Does this alarm you to to think to yourself, well, what what does what does my child's youth pastor actually believe in? Does my child's youth pastor actually believe in the Bible? Because here's the thing, and this and this really this really boils my blood. Okay, I understand that we're dealing with kids, we're dealing with teenagers. I understand that, and I've it's something that I have had to to personally accept in this line of in this line of ministry as as a youth pastor, youth director, whatever it is that you want to call my job title, um, but. And I understand that there has to be a certain aspect of fun, right? You're dealing with kids, right? You're not dealing with adults. They don't have the attention spans of adults. They don't have, <clears throat> excuse me, they don't have the, the quote unquote perception that adults do. I totally understand that. But why, why are we turning youth group? Why are we turning Sunday school? Why are we turning our youth ministries into an excuse just to come and to hang out and to have fun? What if we did that in church? What if we did that on a Sunday morning during worship? We just came and we played games the whole time. We shot some pool. We did some funky, funky little thing that, that where the where the kids are eating stuff out of the youth pastor's belly button, or or you know the adults are trying to do hopscotch, you know, to do it. And again, I, I mean, the, the eating stuff out of out of the youth pastor's belly button that's a that's that's over the line. That's just that's just crazy. That's ludicrous. Don't ever do that. That's just ridiculous. Like, no. But but the question still remains. Why are youth pastors not taking their role seriously? Is it because they don't really have true faith? Is it because we as a church have downgraded youth group? We look at youth group not as a ministry. We look at youth group and Sunday school as an extracurricular activity. That's all that it is. It's not ministry. It's not preparation. It really doesn't mean anything. And if, you, if, if you're watching this and you go, yeah, that's exactly what it is. One, I appreciate your honesty. I can 100% say I appreciate you being honest. But I also have to challenge you with this, and I'm challenging the whole church. I'm challenging listeners. I'm challenging Christians. I'm challenging parents. If you're not taking your faith seriously and you're not making worship or Bible study or anything like that a priority, what in the world makes you think that your child is going to do that? Because here's the thing. Parents get this wrong all the time. It is not the job of the church to disciple your children. That is your job. You're the parent. You're supposed to be raising the children. 
look at scripture. We are here to equip you with the tools necessary. But how can we do that if, if, if nothing happens? Why are we sending stuff home? Why are we telling the kids, go home and do this? Or, or putting it out on church bulletins? Or putting it out in newsletters? Putting it out on Facebook, Instagram, wherever? Like, hey, do this with your kids. And only a small number of parents are actually doing these things. Because parents, the work that we do, the true 12% of youth pastors that actually hold true to a biblical worldview and they actually teach scripture, our work means nothing if, 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 if the kids come home and, and nothing else is, is, is deeper. If you don't ask questions and don't accept the, oh, I don't know, they know. Believe me, because when they come back next week and we ask them, hey, do you guys remember what we talked about last week? Hands are raised. They know what's going on. You just have to push them. Don't let them control the conversation. It's just, it's sad. It's sad to me that, that pretty soon, pretty soon, youth ministry is just probably going to die. Honestly. Because what, what's going to be the point anymore? Because as of right now, if you if you look around the nation, what is youth group? It's just come and hang out and, you know, let's, let's read a little bit about Jesus and, you know, let's just, you know, have a little, uh, a little discussion about him without any true, uh, without any true exegesis, meaning true context of understanding what the scripture is actually saying with no true conviction of sin without any true discipleship or any true guidance because our children our kids our teenagers they're hungry for answers and the answers are out there you just have to find them i want to read from james chapter 3 James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So again, the true context of this is first talking about teachers, pastors. James explains that not everybody should become a pastor. Why? Because, well, one, they're not called by God. But two, because it's not in the will of God and they, and they don't have the personal gifts that come with needing to be a pastor. This is something that I personally am struggling with right now is what is my call? Am I, am I called just to be 
continuing just to be a, a youth pastor? Or am I actually called to be a lead pastor? Do I actually have the gifts to be a lead pastor or a teaching pastor? But it's also James is also talking about our words. That's, a, that's essentially what he is talking about, is that the words that we as teachers are carrying carry a heavy load. Because you as the pastor, you as the youth pastor, the children's pastor, your members, your, your kids, your students, they're looking at you as the bringer of truth. They're not looking at you and thinking, well, I got to go test this. Unless you tell them that. Explain to them. Go test what I'm telling you. That's one thing that I tell my students all the time is if you don't agree with this, go back home and read scripture. Study the scriptures for yourself. And if and if and if I am wrong, come back and let's have a discussion about it. But your words carry a huge load. Pastors, I even encourage you with this. If you do not hold true 100% to the Bible and everything that is in it, no matter how difficult, no matter how controversial, no matter how crazy it may sound, it is 100% true. If you don't believe that, then you should not be on the pulpit. You should not be anywhere near the pulpit. Because pastors are here to teach the word of God, to teach the 100% authoritative, meaning all authority, 100% infallible, meaning no mistakes, 100% true word of God. If you don't believe that, you need to take a step back and really assess if this is truly a call from God or if this was just a feeling that you had in a moment of, of, of feelings or emotions, whatever the case may be. So please take, take this seriously. So I want to encourage, I, 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 I really just want to encourage you to please read your Bibles and study your Bibles. I want to thank all my listeners and all the viewers today for, for watching this episode. I hope that you were blessed by it and I hope that it challenges you in some way. Uh, but please, if you have any questions or if you have any uh, suggestions of what you would like to be talked about here on The Gospel Truth, please contact me and I would love to talk with you and I would love to, 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 to have an open conversation with you and to hopefully have this topic discussed on this episode. My name is Josh Lucas and this has been the gospel truth. Be safe and make good choices. Have a blessed day.